Thank you for having us back again. I'm here with my family, and we like it here, and we're happy that you invited us again. Um, so today, um, in the series, Because of Her, I'm talking about Deborah. But you can't talk about Deborah without talking about Barack, and not former president either. And you can't talk about Barack without talking about Sisera. You can't talk about Sisera without talking about JL. So, one of those guys is not a good one. Sister is the bad guy. The other three are heroes, and they're kind of like um, a trifecta in this story of heroes. Um, they're all lauded for what they did in the Lord's service, but in very different ways. Now, um, <laughs> we don't always remember everything in a sermon. In fact, they say about 10% of what you hear in any given talk or presentation is retained, which is probably generous. Um, but <laughs> I think you're probably going to remember what I'm about to do next. In eighth grade, I went to, I'm from the hood of um, Churchville. Whoop, whoop. And I went to Churchville Chile, uh Public Schools. And um, we actually, in eighth grade um, English, read the Bible, read parts of the Bible as part of the New York State curriculum. And I'm not sure if this is the first time I heard the story about Deborah, but um, it's the first song I ever wrote about Deborah. And um, so my group, we had to, we had to uh, read the book of Judges and then write a song, and it was around Christmas time. So it's a Christmas carol. Um, and you tell the story with, to the tune of a Christmas carol. So this is what I remember from my 8th grade Deborah Christmas carol. Oh, Deborah was a prophetess. She delivered Israel after Ehud's death. Deborah shoved Barak onto the battlefield. Sisera left his chariots and then fled on foot. Oh, Sisera, Sisera ran to Jael's tent. She gave him milk and covered him and stabbed him through the head. Oh, Sisera, Sisera ran to Jael's tent. She gave him milk and covered him and stabbed him through the head. <laughs> True story. Who's never heard the story of Deborah and Jael before? Who, who thinks that I'm crazy? Who, who's never heard the story? I want to see your hands. Awesome. Okay, you picked a really interesting day to sit in on a sermon because there's some trippy stuff going on in this story. But let me give you the backdrop of the book of Judges. The story, um, the, the, the period of the Judges takes place between um, Joshua and the conquest of Jericho. And so it's after Moses um, and before the period of the kings. So Israel is a... A nation, but it's still made up of tribes and all the people around the area, most of them enemies of Israel, are also in tribes. So there's like the desert tribes and the mountain tribes and um, there's no, Israel has no king at this point. And um, because it's still set up in tribes, they need someone to lead them. So um, this period from about... 1200 to about 1000, so about 200 years before they started having um, kings at their request. The rulers or the, the point people for the nation of Israel were called judges. 
That doesn't mean that they sat around all day necessarily, you know, serving justice, although Deborah certainly did. Um, But this is how the cycle goes in Judges. It's a really interesting book. So the Israelites get rescued miraculously, rescued miraculously, and they thank God and everything's great, and then they start to fall away, they get comfortable, they start relying on themselves rather than on God, and they start sinning and just getting totally complacent until the sin takes over, and then they get miserable because they aren't following God anymore. They're following their own selfish desires. It doesn't work out. It gets so bad that they call out to God for help, so he sends a rescuer to rescue them miraculously until the next time when they forget. And the cycle repeats and repeats and repeats. How frustrating for God. The parent of these people who cannot get it in their heads for more than a couple decades. I mean, he does miracles. He appears in clouds. He appears in fire. He has, you know, 20 guys fight off 10,000 guys. And then they stop following this God and think they can do it better. And it goes very poorly. Also kind of a microcosm of like the whole history of Christianity, of Judaism. Also kind of, you know, a macrocosm of any one believer's life. Um, but, you know, um, the cycle, the judges cycle is so interesting because it really speaks to who our God is. His nature is redemption. Things got messed up at the very beginning and things keep getting messed up and he never runs out of mercy and patience, and love for these people that are quite stinkers. So let's read the Deborah story in Judges chapters 4 and 5, seventh book of the Bible. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead, last judge, So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hagoyim because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried out to the Lord for help. So 20 years of oppression, crying out to God. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. Sound familiar? Like Solomon? Except this is a thousand years before Solomon. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali. Are you keeping all this straight? There's going to be a quiz. And said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Barak, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulon, those two tribes, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I, God, will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. So in the same breath as the command to go attack is the promise that the attack will be successful. Barak said to Deborah, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. 
So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There, Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went with him. Now, Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zaniam near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned up from Haushat Hagoyim to the Kishan River all his men in 900 chariots fitted with iron. And Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harashat Hagoyim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not one man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, whose tribe this is, because there was an alliance between Jabin and Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket to hide him. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him back up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If anyone comes in and asks you, is there a man in here? Say, no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg. I just so happened to have one and a hammer, and went quickly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you are looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. <clears throat> so, recap of chapter 4. Um, king Jabin, bad king, enemy king. Sisera is the commander of bad king Jabin's army. And Deborah is the judge of Israel. So, she's a prophet. God speaks to her and says, go get Barak, whoever he was. I don't really know. Um, go get Barak and tell him you are going to subdue Sisera and thereby subdue Jabin and have freedom from these oppressive people that have been, um, you know, blasting you for 20 years. So Barak says, yes, I will, but only if you go with me. And she says, yes, I will go, but because of the way you're going about this, a woman will have the victory, will have the, the glory. And so he goes, all that happens, Sisera flees, and uh, King J um, Heber, the Kenite, this dude who was um, not an Israelite, he, uh, he had a tribe um, descended from Moses' father-in-law, Hobab, or Jethro, and they decided they didn't want to be a part of the rest of the Kenites, so they settled somewhere else. They have this little sweet spot that King Jabin doesn't care about, because really King Jabin's beef is with the Israelites. Um, so there's peace in this place, Jael's tent, Jael's uh, community. She's the wife of the dude who separated with his tribe. 
So she gives him as good as a covenant to come in and be safe. I will provide you shelter. And then she stabs him through the head. Um, so that's, that's a recap. And here is the song of Deborah, chapter 5. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. When you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook and the heavens poured. The clouds poured down water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, another judge, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned. Travelers took to winding paths. Villagers in Israel would not fight. They held back until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. God chose new leaders. When war came to the city gates, but not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with Israel's princes, where the people, where the willing volunteers among the people praise the Lord. You who ride on donkeys, sitting on your saddle blankets, and you who walk along the road, consider the voice of the singers at the watering places. They recite the victories of the Lord, the victories of his villagers in Israel. When the people of the Lord went down to the city gates, wake up, wake up, Deborah, wake up, wake up, break out, break out in song, arise, Barak, take captive of your captive, son of Abinoam. The remnant of nobles came down, the people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty, some came from Ephraim, whose roots were in Amalek. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machir, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. The princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, sent under his command into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. This is where it turns. She praises the tribes who helped, and then she starts talking about the tribes who didn't come to help. There was much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheep pens to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the terraced fields. Kings came, they fought. The kings of Canaan fought at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo, they took no plunder of silver. From the heavens the stars fought. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away. The age-old river. March on, my soul, be strong. Then thundered the horse's hooves, galloping, galloping, go his mighty steeds. Curse Morose, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly, because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women be Jael the wife of Heber the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk, which they liked. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the laborer's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank, he fell. At her feet he sank, he fell, dead. Though the window... Through the window peered Sisera's mother. Behind the lattice she cried out, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why is the clatter of his chariots delayed? 
The wisest of her ladies answer her, Indeed, she keeps saying to herself, Are not they finding and dividing spoils, a woman or two for each man, colorful garments as plunder, colorful garments embroidered for his neck as plunder? So may all your enemies perish, Lord, but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises and its strength. And then the land had peace for 40 years. Israel had peace for 40 years. Okay, whew, that's a lot of scripture. Um, so it's pretty wild, right? Not necessarily as wild as um, Zipporah and the foreskin episode. That was pretty crazy. Did Scott talk about that, right? I think that's like the weirdest thing in all of scripture, but um, still pretty wild. And Deborah and Jael are rare in scripture as female military heroes sung in the military songs. Um, but actually, they're not the only ones. Um, from the intertestamental books, or what our tradition calls the apocryphal books, there's a story, a whole book about Judith, who um, kind of served like a judge too. She was angry at her people for not trusting God to deliver him, deliver them from the Assyrians. And so she took it upon herself to seduce um, the, um, the Sisera of that army, and came back with his head and said, we don't have to worry anymore. Then there was, in Judges 9, um, Abimelech was an evil king who had a millstone dropped on his head by a woman who was watching, and the army wasn't doing it quick enough, so pew, bombs away. She was lauded. And then um, in Second Samuel, actually, Abimelech then went on to say, Oh, stab me, kill me, don't let them say that a woman did me in. And that comment, too, was recorded in the history of Israel. So be careful. Choose your last words wisely. Second Samuel 20, a wise woman, wise woman, suggests to Joab that Sheba, another tyrant's head, be tossed over a wall and he catch it. So he does. <laughs> he says, we follow the wise woman's advice and we do that. So they're not the only ones. They're kind of rare. We don't talk about them a lot, but there are military women um, in the Old Testament. So one of, one of the first things that I noticed in this story um, is that there are a lot of bold characters, and uh, God, God works with bold characters, bold personalities, um, and bold in, like, yes, decisive and uh, proactive, but also sometimes um, impulsive, irrational, um, people who would much rather ask forgiveness than permission. Um, if you think about some of the bold personalities, there's Jacob, who uh, does some pretty crazy schemes and um, is, is quite, a, quite a key figure in, in the history of Israel. There's Miriam, who comes out of the bulrushes and says to the princess, who, whose father is killing all the babies, Hey, um, I know where I can get a nurse for you, and you can keep that baby. There's Zipporah, who, you know aforementioned foreskin episode is quite proactive. There's Samson. I think you pretty much know his story. There's Elijah who uh, taunts the prophets of Baal and says, you know what? Toss some more water on this fire. My God's going to rain down fire. And then he like makes fun of the other guys who are, you know, cutting themselves and crying out to their Baals. And then there's David. David, right? Abigail. Peter. Martha, Paul, 
the woman with the hemorrhage who reaches out in her uncleanness and touches Jesus' garment, even though she could get in trouble for doing that. And the woman who asked for crumbs from Jesus' table. And he praised her and said, I haven't seen faith like this in Israel. Each of these did some really gutsy things, and God was able to harness those traits, and they, um, they earned their place in the story of redemption. And furthermore, some of these people did some really questionable things in the course of their service to the Lord, and sometimes they're not even rebuked for it. They do questionable things. I mean, Rahab, her profession was iffy, but nobody ever says, stop doing that, or, uh-oh, can't use her. She's just, her story is told. It's described, and they move on, and she's lauded. She's in the history. The spies that she hid, the spies who went to see a prostitute, in the name of the Lord. Now, we do not know what transpired in there. They might have flashed money as soon as they walked in and said, we are not here for that. Please keep your mouth shut. We're going to conquer your town, okay? Um, But the truth remains, they compromised themselves by going to a prostitute. Was there strategy in that? Absolutely. Nobody would, you know, pull them aside and say, what are you doing here? Duh, they're at Rahab's house. Um, David... King David did not avenge his daughter's attack by his son. That was lousy, but they moved on. Um, Noah, Noah being drunken and naked and his sons getting in trouble because they made a spectacle of it. But Noah's drunk and naked. Like, that's not a problem. There's not a comment. Samson never particularly followed the Lord. He, He followed his mother's advice to a point and then had a spectacular epic ending, but was not a role model by any means. In case anyone ever tells you different, Samson, not a role model. Gideon, who was like, God, show me a sign. Okay, that was good, but um, God, show me another sign. Okay, that was good. All right, I guess I'll do this. Not exactly a role model. Bigamists, I mean, all the men in Israel's history who had a bajillion wives, Not really commented on, but we don't do that anymore. And then eunuchs, people who chose to become eunuchs. Questionable, right? And then Abraham. You know, Abraham lied about his wife being his sister so that he wouldn't be killed and she taken. And where God doesn't necessarily rebuke him for it, the kings do, but they still have the fear of the Lord. They're like, that was a dirty trick. You could have gotten me damned to hell. Don't do that anymore. That was, ah, don't do that. So... In mentioning these, these characters that are no doubt permanent fixtures, very, very important in Israel's history, and pointing out that they do some questionable things and, and their morality is not necessarily commented on, I'm not trying to draw a conclusion. I'm just saying, look at this. It's there for a reason. And I don't have any further answers about that, but I do know that I've gotten into trouble, and a lot of people have gotten into trouble by trying to draw conclusions from, from, from the messy stories in Scripture. And um, a lot of Christians uh, find themselves divided with one another for trying to draw conclusions from the messy stories in Scripture. Um, so I would offer that, not as a formula, but as, as some good practice when you encounter stories like this, um, rather than trying to cram 
these weird anecdotes into some kind of um, formula to say, oh, this is the way the kingdom of God works. A equals B and B equals C, therefore A equals C. The Bible is not neat and tidy like that. So even if it works in one instance, if you try to use that same formula in another instance, you're just going to get frustrated. So instead of doing that, what if we slow down, pause, say, hmm, she ripped off the foreskin, threw it on him instead. Okay. And just sit with it. Pray. Say, Lord, this is weird. But I'm not going to ignore it. That's not the right thing to do. So help me glean from this what you want me to glean. And, and, and pay attention to the questions that are, that are drawn for you, that are raised for you. Um, why is this in here? Who canonized this? Like, can I get a, you know, a recall? No. So, so start asking questions. We chew on it. We recognize that it's messy. We say, hmm, this is messy. I can't put it in neat little boxes. And we continue to chew and pray for wisdom and, and pay attention to the questions that are, that are, arise, arise, that come up. <clears throat> okay. Back to our story now. Let's address some confusion um, that can come up with the, the heroes in our story. So Deborah, Barak, and Jael. Sometimes when we think of Deborah, we think of the military victor. But that wasn't even her jam. She was a judge before that episode. She was, she was the commander of Israel before that episode. And it wasn't military. It was sitting under a tree and hearing people's whining all day and saying, I don't know what to do. And she would give them wisdom. So it was in the everyday, the everyday um, occurrences of the nation of Israel. It was intimate. It was, you know, individuals against individuals. It was small groups and small families. It says she was a prophet, and we're not totally sure what that means. Um, some prophets have foreknowledge, so they say, whoa, 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 is coming. Um, other ones just give messages like, you need to turn the ship around uh, to people. Some are called prophets because they're very wise. Some are called prophets because they're very holy. So we're not totally sure, but what is clear is that she's getting messages from God, straight from God, to transmit to other people. That's her thing. The military thing just happened during it, but her main office was um, transmitting messages from God and helping... uh, being that mother of Israel, which is a pretty interesting title. And I don't remember anyone else being called that, mother of Israel. Now, Barak. Um, different translations render his exchange with Deborah differently. And some theologians have said that there's not as much causality between him saying, I will only go if you go, and the victory going to a woman as the one that I read. Some of them will say, and some theologians will say, no, he wasn't whining. It was more like a a sure thing. Kind of like, instead of answering, do you want pepperoni pizza? Instead of saying, yes, you say, is the Pope Catholic? What does that have to do with it? But it's a way of answering um, emphatically, yes. So he could have, some say, he could have been saying, yes, and I'm taking you with me because you are significant, um, you know, kings would bring, you know, relics and advisors and important, significant people with them on conquests. 
So uh, some theologians say it's possible that that's what was going on here. And that in Deborah saying, just so you know, the victory, you're going to have to share it. It's going to go to a woman, not as a rebuke, but as a, oh, and by the way, just to make sure, you know, all disclosures on the table, you're going to have to share. And it's not, it's not that God has a problem with a woman in victory or um, sharing the glory. It's just that God knows that the people do. <laughs> the culture have a problem with it. So just making sure that Barak is okay with that and he's still going to follow through. We're not totally sure. In this rendering in the NIV, it definitely sounds like it was a consequence, um, a woman having the victory for uh, Barak's um, hesitation or uh, putting conditions on um, his obedience to God. And that, that works too. Um, but what's really interesting is I don't get the sense that Deborah's talking about herself. Sometimes we take it that way, but I think she's talking about Jael. I also want to point out that I don't think that women having the victory um, necessitates or, or points to what, what some exegetes have said, that if the men were doing their job, God wouldn't have had to raise up women. Some people try to use it that way. Um, Deborah being a prophet is a fact. It's not like, and because the Israelites were lame and the men weren't doing their job, God raised up Deborah. No, it's just Deborah was commander over Israel at this time. God's not threatened by women heroes. God's not threatened by women. And also, Barak um, is not scorned anywhere else uh, in Scripture for, um, for quailing. For, uh, for being weak. He's lauded, if you look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11, if you want to flip, uh, you're welcome to. It's a great chapter. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 um, gives uh, kind of a list of the, the heroes of Israel, the key players, and Barak is mentioned, and Deborah and Jael aren't. So Barak is not slapped. It's not like there's an asterisk by his name. No, he's given, uh, he's given credit for being faithful. It even says, uh, through faith, who through faith conquered enemies. And by the way, Hebrews may have been written by a woman, Priscilla. Now, we come to JL, perhaps the most controversial of all. What did she do? She tricked a guy into coming into her tent, which was not a normal thing, um, because the women's tents were separate from the men's tents. And the only males permitted in a woman's tent were a husband or a doctor, not a Sisera. Um, also, but what she says to him, she, she gives him what amounts to a covenant of protection. She says, I will protect you. Um, not just a kind of ad hoc thing, but, you know, come in, don't be afraid. She gives him, and then she gives him milk. What's the significance of that? Not everybody could have milk. It was a sign of respect, a sign of um, water. Forget water, you get milk. Um, and probably also helped him fall asleep so she could, you know. Uh, so she not only deceives him, she betrays him, and she murders him. That's, that's a lot of questionable behavior. In fact, John Wesley was very bothered. I was reading his, um, his commentary, which is even available online. Um, 
John Wesley comments on J.L., well, she's lauded, but God is not supporting all of her behavior. Uh, not the deception part, just the, just, the, just the killing the guy because God told her to part. He even goes so far, John Wesley, as to suggest, though there's no hint of this in Scripture, that she wasn't deceiving. She had every intention as the, uh, the peaceful ally of King Jabin to um, protect and haven, harbor this man until, not in the Bible, God said, oh, he's my enemy. You should kill him now. And then she's like, oh, okay. And then she does it. I think that's a bit of a stretch. I think that Occam's razor would suggest that she's tricking him. But that raises questions too. Why? What did she have to gain by killing him? They were at peace. He wasn't after her. King Jabin wasn't after her. They had this sweet little deal in the valley. They had their own little little protected um, tribal encampment. Everything was great. So why would she want to kill Sisera? I don't know. Raises an interesting question. If, if God did tell her to, then that would make sense, but the word doesn't, doesn't say that. Um, I wondered if perhaps uh, she had noticed, kind of like Rahab had noticed, ooh, this, uh, this God of Israel is pretty powerful. And we've heard about the armies making very unlikely conquests, and he's coming this way, and he's going to conquer us too, and we're going to die. I don't want that. So I'm going to follow this God, because I can clearly see he's more powerful than these kings. So maybe it was something like that, because um, scholars have suggested that uh, they went to Mount Tabor, right? So they're, they're up on this uh, like plateau, big enough to have a battle on, but they don't wait for the enemy to come up to them. They go down. So they're actually giving up their prime position, and they're rushing the army um, as a sign, perhaps, that they're really not scared. They mean business. They don't need an advantage. We're just going to go and do this thing. And it scared them so much that they all died, or Sisera hopped out of his chariot, picked up his robes, and hightailed it to the nearest haven. He was scared. So maybe JL watched all this go down and went, Oh, today is the day I turn coat. Don't know. Be that as it may. However that went down, um, there's some, still some takeaways that, uh, that don't really matter. Um, the, the details don't really matter. I think we can still take these things away. Number one, proactivity in following the Lord's direction or being on mission with the Lord is blessed. And we see this throughout Scripture. Um, you know, Peter jumping out of the boat, um, Abigail running up and recognizing David as a better master than her own evil husband, people we talked about already. So Deborah obeyed God's word. Deborah not only heard from God, she instantly transmitted the message. And notice she doesn't hesitate when Barak says, will you go with me? You know, I'll only go if you go. She says, certainly I will. That's a pledge. Certainly I will. She doesn't hesitate. Which also makes me wonder if Barak was doing anything wrong by suggesting that she go. It almost seems like she was like packed and ready, right? She's got her, her sword or whatever. I don't know, her Deborah stuff. Yeah. Um, and she's ready to go. It's not a surprise. Barak responded to God's word through Deborah. Now, there's that 
controversy of the qualification. Did he, would he have gone if she had said no? Um, but he's still in the book of Hebrews as through faith he conquered. J.L. acted with decisiveness and intentionality on the side of Israel. No matter what was going through her mind, she acted decisively, <laughs> quite decisively. I mean, you know, you pick this up in a hammer, you mean business, right? There's not like, oh, I was just going to wound him. <laughs> he just doesn't need his frontal lobe. Um, <laughs> she, was, she was in it <laughs> to win it. Um, and she acted with intentionality on the side of Israel, much like Rahab. So, um, so the opposite of that, proactivity, decisiveness, um, stepping up, is self-service and, the, uh, and, and, and holding back and, and thinking too much about it. Because if you know it's from the Lord, you better do it. Um, in the victory song, just the tribes that, that, uh, that came to the aid in this, in this military event um, are, are honored, and the ones that didn't are rebuked. Like, oh, they're too happy by the sea, they're doing their thing, woe on them. Um, and so those who, who hesitate are, uh, are rebuked. Redemption, the theme of, of all this, because of her series, uh, is um, exploring um, ways that, that God brings about redemption in his story that is still unfolding. It comes in faithfulness, we see in this story. It comes in faithful obedience to God's word and trust. Um, Barak had to take Deborah's word for it, that God had said, you're going to do this and you're going to win. That was her word. And she had to take God's word. She had no evidence. They were picking a fight. They were picking a fight with the dude who had 900 chariots of the king. So there was a lot of radical trust involved. So people had to hear and obey God's will. And it was kind of irrational, like Noah building an ark in the middle of the desert, or Sarah and Abraham getting ready with the nursery when they're 100 years old, or Mary saying, sure, I'll have a virgin baby. Um, but that's, that's how God has worked. And the misery that caused the outcry to God in the beginning resulted directly from Israel stopping to follow God. And so repentance had to happen. It's not just obedience. It's not just trust. It's also repentance. You've got to do a 180. You've got to say, wah, we were wrong. We brought this on ourselves. We're going to change our ways, at least for 40 years. You know, um, it had to happen. The redemption had to happen through repentance and trust. As we do. Someday, the trust will give way to sight. But until then, we've got to take leaps of faith sometimes. So because of her, because of her and her cohorts, Israel had a mother to help life run smoothly and wisely on a small scale. Because of her, the Lord's glory and power were shown to enemy nations in a way that, I think, made them take notice. I don't know what the rest of Jael's story was, but I'm guessing her husband had some questions for her <laughs> at the end of that day. Like, ah, what happened to the rug? <laughs> at least, you know. Um, and that's a long story, right? Oh, you know, Sisera came in and I stabbed him through the head. It's all good. <laughs> and then 
because of her, Israel had peace for 40 years. And then the cycle started again. She was one of the early judges. There's plenty more to come. So my question for you today, for us, is what personality traits do you have that God can use? Um, for me, <laughs> first thing that came to mind, I think in songs. <laughs> I hum without knowing it. You know, I sing while I'm working, when I'm mowing the lawn, when I'm in the shower. And I bust out, and people are like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, that was out loud? I don't know. I put choruses and jingles to everything. Like, um, if you've ever seen The Jerk with Steve Martin, I'm picking out a thermos for you. That's totally how I roll. I just sing about everything. But sometimes I can use um, my goofy songs um, to give voice to somebody else's heart cry, kind of like the psalmist. Um, that's a weird personality trait, but God has used it before. <laughs> You're welcome. I sang one for you today. But what about you? What do you have? Maybe even, maybe even a personality trait that somebody told you God can't use. Something so weird that it can't possibly be used of God, and God's going to work in spite of it. Think about what makes you you. And how those things that make you you could serve as a unique role um, in this unfolding story of redemption that we're living in. So I hope you can take a moment um, and ask God to show you some things maybe that you've been missing, that you have to offer without even trying too hard maybe, and then take those and hold them up to God and say, this is me, this is who I am, this is what I have. Can you use it? And see what happens. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are a creative God and a God who calls himself love, a God of, of order over chaos, but a God of surprise and discovery. A God that we cannot put in a box. And a God who calls us to, to come